Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting firm RiderFlex. If you enjoyed today's guest interview, please give it a like and be sure to subscribe to the RiderFlex podcast. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand. Shay, how's it going? Where are you in Cal? Where are you at? Are you in Washington? I'm in Washington State where it's beautiful and sunny and warm. Um, yeah, that's at Washington State. All right. Benton, where, where, where is Benton City? Yeah, where is that? Yeah, it's the eastern side of Washington. It's about three hour, a three-hour drive east of Seattle. Beautiful drive where you're going through the uh, Cascade Mountains and Clayelum and Ellensburg and Yakima, and then you'll find your way to the Tri-Cities area. Um, it's a beautiful, you know, three rivers here, lots of sunshine, uh, cool. beautiful area of the state. All right. It's not the rainy. So this is not the rainy, like rains all the time, nine months a year, Washington thing. <laughs> you know, a lot of folks think that when you, when you think Washington state, you do think of like Western Washington. I think we are called the evergreen state, but that is just for like one side of the state. Um, I'm on more of desert like, and so it's very different right. from the beautiful greenery that you see in Seattle. Okay. So where'd you grow up? What give us the family story there? Mom, dad, siblings, childhood. Yeah, give us so give us some in, stuff. Yeah, I grew up I'm a Southern Belle. I grew up in South Carolina, um, in a very rural part of South Carolina. Actually, a lot of towns in South Carolina are pretty small. Okay. So um there are four of us. I'm the oldest, and I grew up, you know, running outside barefoot, uh, playing outside. <laughs> of course, when I was growing up, there wasn't all the amazing right. electronics devices that there are now right. in fact when i was growing up like nintendo the first nintendo came out which was a huge huge thing and I, so yeah. um that was kind of my first exposure to um i guess like video gaming uh right. but yeah a lot of right. playing outside um in the country um what, ta what town what, what what was the town the area where you where you grew up there you said small town what was it yeah so it was marion south carolina so very small you know, town okay. where we had one okay. high school and. Oh yeah. yeah. How many kids, how many kids in your graduating class? Yeah. Just over 200. Okay. All right. Very good. So oldest of four, you said. Yeah. Brothers, sisters mix. What was yeah, it? Yeah. So mix. Yeah. Okay. And parents, what'd your mom and dad do? You know what they, um, my dad was in uh, manufacturing and my mom was stay at home mom. So we always had like really nice home cooked meals and um, all the things that happened in the house, like the laundry being done and house being clean. That's what that's what my mom did. So she was a full time, you know, stay at home mom that was an amazing Southern cook. So um, you can imagine a, an amazing childhood of playing outside all day and then always having something yummy to eat. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so your dad was not nobody in the family was an entrepreneur there and. Kind of the reason I'm asking no. what your folks did is because a lot of times the entrepreneurial bug comes from something in there, you know? Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is that when I grew up, we had, you know, members of our family that did um, various things. Like my uncle uh, was a mechanic and there was a cousin okay. who uh, like had fresh fruit and drove it around in his truck to sell. And so, you know, okay. there were folks in the family that did, did things yeah. like that. But growing up, you know, we didn't know the word entrepreneur. Right. And so although you know, you think about it, like those folks, they were entrepreneurs, they, you know, ran a business and they yes. sourced products and, you know, yes. sold directly to the consumer and, um, you know, managed all their finances. And so we just didn't know, you know growing up, I didn't know the word entrepreneur. <laughs> right. Yep. Same for me. Uh, I don't even remember when I first heard that word. Matter of fact, now that I'm thinking about it, I grew up in Oklahoma uh, and uh, yeah, I don't even remember when I even heard that word. I think it was out of college, maybe. Uh, okay. <laughs> Um, so you're, were you a good kid? Were you a bad kid? Were you somewhere in the middle wild? Were you reading Bible <laughs> verses every day? What, what, know, kind of kid I, what kind of kid were you? I actually really was a, a very, very good kid. You know, I, I actually wish I were more of a rebel. I never broke any rules. I was very humble. What? Um, you know, as I think back, I'm just like, I, you know, I wish I would have, you know, I was back home at prom, prom ended at midnight. I had to be home at like 10. And so I kind of wish oh. I were a little bit more of a rule breaker. Um, okay. You know, well, did you, how about college? When you went to Winthrop, did you, did you step out a little bit? Did you? Not really. You know, after growing up <laughs> being a kid that followed the rules so much, um, I uh, really just 
Okay. You know, continue to be, you know, follow the rules and, you know, right. didn't really too much okay. out of the, yeah, out of the norm. I, I wish I would have. Okay. Right. <laughs> I knew what right. I knew now, you know. <laughs> uh, well, these, those theater majors, they were, they, they like to have fun though. I don't know. I went to college with some theater majors and they like to, they like to party a little bit. That's why I thought. Sort of. no, you know, no. theater people, we wore, you know, when I was in theater, we wore black all the time. Our performing arts school was on the opposite side of the campus. And okay. so we did have our own little world over there. We had cast parties and things like that. But, you know, we didn't get really too crazy. Okay. All right. Uh, so were you going to be an actress? I mean, what was the plan? Give me the, what was Yeah. The, so, you know, do? when I started, when I started school, I was undecided. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I kind of wanted to go in, you know, be a chiropractor, but wasn't really sure. What, where'd that come from? Chiropractor. Where'd that come I, you from? You know what? In my small town, you know, you kind of know the jobs that you are exposed to. And we had like, you know, you're in small towns like that. You have like the dentist or like, you know, the yeah. pharmacist and, yeah, you know, right. the chiropractor. And so, <laughs> you know, when it was time to think about what I wanted to do, that was just something that kind of, that came to mind okay. and I right. just really have exposure to many things. And so, um, right. but I, I did, I wasn't feeling it. I just kind of thought right. it was something, but um, anyways, so I went in as undecided and I, the advisor that I had was head of the biology department, talked me into like, majoring in biology and I had zero interest in the type of courses I was taking and was a minor in theater and really had fun uh, with the theater department learning things like lighting design and set design and mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. kinds of really cool mm -hmm. stuff so at the end of the you know after my almost the end of my second year I was just like you know what my heart's pulling me to theater that's what I want to do in a theater department folks welcome me with open arms and you know that's were just you, where I, I went were your mom and dad like uh Shay, what are you going to do with that degree? Shay, what are you, 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 what are you doing? Wonder. They did wonder, but they weren't really parents that, you know, when I was first talking about being a chiropractor, they were just like, oh, I don't know if you really want to do that. So I think they were more vocal with that. And then once I got into college, I think I became a little more like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, okay. you know, not in like a sassy way, but just like, I think okay. they were just like, well, wow, you, you know, you seem really confident in that decision. So you know, they, they really didn't give me an opinion either way. Okay. What was your biggest lead role in a, in a play or something? What was, what was your, what was your Super Bowl moment? <laughs> so, you know, when I was at Winthrop, I didn't really have like a big, um, like a, a huge role in like a particular play. I did a okay. lot of improv. And so I was a part of an improv troupe. And so if you're part of an improv troupe, every role is a star role because you're all, every role is always on. I mean, if you think oh, about um, oh, whose okay. line is it anyway? I mean, that's okay. what I did um, in an I improv see. troupe. So I, I think that I was see. probably one of my most proudest, um, you know, uh, roles that I, that I had at Winthrop. And then when I moved to LA, I just got into um, what would be considered more so community theater. Some of it was paid roles. And so um, I, I, and I really liked the smaller theater, um, roles I really liked um feeling like I had a, a voice in a smaller facility okay. where I felt like I touched everyone so okay that was a lot of fun for me too now did you uh you graduated uh school and you're like I'm going to Los Angeles that's where all the actors go man I'm going pretty much I told someone that <laughs> they asked what I was doing after college and I was like I'm going to LA I didn't know anybody there and then the person I told told everybody else in my theater department I was like oh god I gotta do this now I mean <laughs> words gotten around i guess i really have to do it so what did um, you do so I, pack your, you packed your stuff in a car and just went out there <laughs> exactly no really i did yeah i just packed <laughs> up and in three days found myself in la with like 300 bucks in my pocket to live <laughs> off of so did you have some friends did you have a family who no you i with? didn't know anyone there no what, wow what was your first job um, I, my second day, no, my third day there, I had an audition for a movie oh. and, um, it was through some, it was through a connection that I had made. Cause I worked on a, um, a film when I was in college okay. called Joanna man, <laughs> I was at, I, right. I was on the production side of that though. Oh, okay. All and, right. um, so I met a contact there. And then when I was uh, moving out to LA, they weren't there anymore, but they said, Oh, I know someone who is casting for this, you know, this movie and, um, you know, maybe I can get you a, a an audition. And they just, I, they just called in a favor. I didn't even have a headshot and I just showed up, had never been on audition, didn't know the protocol. And so 
it was just a horrible audition. I just wasn't really, you know, prepared, didn't know my way around LA. So, you know, I was just a a bit frazzled, but that was my first, um, like my first audition Okay. Uh, there. And uh, then I did like uh, some commercials and stuff and just really wanted to get back into theater. And so I just decided to focus on that. And I only did it for three years. And then I kind of, you know, found my way out of theater because it wasn't really paying much. Uh, right. At some point you're like, okay, I, I, I got it. I got to go get another job. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. Do you still do any theater now? Do you still do any plays on the side or anything? You know, every day at work in wine is theater. <laughs> <laughs> You know, theater really is, um, you know, I look at it, you know, th- in all seriousness, you know, I went into corporate training and organizational development and leadership. I and I mean, I when you're that. engaging an audience and transferring knowledge and helping people mm-hmm. learn, yeah. you know, it really is looking at how you can be creative, how you can get into storytelling, you know, those sort of skills were just crazy transferable to, you know, what my career was and in, in some ways still is. Okay. So, um, so no, not on stage in that respect. Nowadays, I do a lot of um, public speaking engagements. I do some yeah. um, emceeing here and there. I was okay. chair of the regional chamber of commerce. And part of that responsibility is that we're leading our big um, luncheons and conferences. And so, okay. you know, in, in those ways, I still find myself on stages, but not a stage with someone else as the playwright and telling me what I need to say and do. <laughs> was a lot of your leader early leadership skills developed because you were the oldest kid and you were you were helping manage the, the brothers and sisters of your natural leadership? I'd say so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably so, right? Okay, yeah. so you're I think I saw on the website, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think your your husband runs the company with you. Is that accurate? Yes. Yes. So Greg is my, my right-hand person. The two of us run, uh, for shed and make the wine here. And, um, okay. And how'd you meet your husband? So we met in California. Actually, I was there for, I've been there for maybe three or four years and, um, he was kind of new to the area too. Um, and so we met there. Was he an actor? Was he an actor? Did you see him at like no, an audition? He's an IT guy. He is so far removed from acting. It's not even funny. He's not IT like guy. How does an IT, IT guy, guy meet an? How does an IT guy meet an actress? Yeah. How does that? Even, how does that even? I happen? mean, when you're young in LA, it's like you just you know you. you <laughs> it's such a great space to meet such a diverse, um, you know, diverse group of folks because there's plenty of places to go and things to see and do. Everybody's out. You know, the yeah, weather is yeah. amazing. Yeah. Walking yeah, right. on the beach, yeah. you can yeah. <laughs> meet yeah. your future spouse. <laughs> I can just almost imagine the first meeting with you guys. Cause well, keep in mind, we Riderflex is a recruiting firm for, for a living. So we recruit a lot of tech people. Right. <laughs> and, and most tech guys, they don't talk very much. So I'm just imagining you're like, you're trying to have a conversation with Greg and he's just kind of one word answers. And he's, he's a little bit quiet. of a different tech guy, you know, he's oh, very oh, yes. uh, okay. and brainy when it comes to technology, but he is, he, he can he, be social. He's just okay. not like a get up in front of a big audience and talk kind of guy. No, that's Shay's role. Personal. That's Shay's role. Yeah, exactly. That's my role. <laughs> we, we know our roles. We really, really do. I think that's why we work so well together. Okay. But so you met before you met when you were at uh, Black and Decker, maybe I met, or, we met right before I went to Black and Decker. Okay. Very good. All right. So when you guys met, were you like, uh, you're out to dinner and you're like, Hey, one of these days we're going to start a wine company. How'd that, how did that work? <laughs> <laughs> well, we both had great jobs. I mean, don't get me wrong. We were in uh, California. We had amazing jobs. I was in uh, corporate training and that, um, yeah. was doing fantastic. There had the world's up. best yeah. leader. Oh yeah. gosh. I had the best. I worked for the most amazing CEO you can ever imagine incredibly supportive of me and my growth and greg had a really nice job working with a great team but we wanted to start a family and we wanted to move our family closer to our parents which meant we either had to move to south carolina where i'm from or washington state where greg's from and both 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 sets of parents were still alive still both sets of parents still alive and doing great and uh we just wanted to be closer to to them and you know, we just couldn't decide. So we ended up flipping a coin and we said if the coin landed on heads, we moved to Washington where Greg's parents live. And if the coin landed on tails, we moved to South Carolina where my parents are. So that's that's how we determined where we would move. And then after that, we just wanted to do something that really gave us goosebumps. And we uh, just kind of tr- did some brainstorming to try to figure out what that would be. And we both really wanted to get back into agriculture, wanted to make something like make a product with our hands. And we just kind of went down the road of you know, thinking about what that could be and landed on growing wine grapes and making wine. 
Now, is that a true story that the coin toss? Are you just are you, is, are you embellishing that a little bit? Is that for real? Did no, you just, not at all. I mean, how, <laughs> was, else, how else do you decide? We were at a spot where like we just couldn't. I mean, I went at South Carolina. He went at Washington. Neither of us were budging and both were great places. It wasn't like, you know, one state was better than the other or you but know, totally different, though, but to- totally different, though. Lots of different. Different. There's difference. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, different yeah. as Eastern Washington and Western Washington. <laughs> Very different. I mean, the, yeah um okay so you did the coin flip were you pissed at first were you like okay no i just didn't believe it i was like wow this is you know because i totally thought i was gonna i was like it's gonna land on tails i just felt good about it you know Uh, um so i said we should do best out of five when it landed on heads and greg was like (laughs) you know then i checked with a two-headed coin and it wasn't so (laughs) all right so what did you guys do? Did you both have a big savings account? You had saved up a bunch of money. You, you quit your job suddenly. Did you ease into it? Walk us through the, the transition of, of how you got started. And, and this will be a good space for aspiring entrepreneurs that have good jobs that are thinking about starting something, but a little nervous about it. Why don't you walk us into some yeah. of the transition? Well, you know, when I, so when I worked in uh, leadership development, I helped with strategic planning for our organization, which means okay. that a lot of things that you do are not just like, oh my God, I'm going to like, you know, take this huge risk. Sometimes you can. Um, yeah. So for us, that was the mindset that I went into this with is, is it something that we have to do right now? Is it something okay. that we need to quit a job and go do? Is it something that we um, have the finances for, um, so we, we went through all of those things and it really wasn't something that we had to do today. And okay. so what we did is, and wine grapes, of course, you know, you're either you're growing them and that takes three years or you're sourcing right. them. And even if you get the grapes right away, it takes two years to age the wine. Yes. So we had some time before the product was available. So we just started with um, using our savings to get started, um, doing it the way of um, working with a consultant winemaker, working out of his facility. So what it looks like for us is um, we did some research first. You know, how do you how do you make wine? What are the different options for owning a winery? Uh, we thought that working with the consultant winemaker in their facility, so we don't have to invest in all the equipment or the location, um, that was the best way for us to go um, because we did have the um, finances to purchase you know, wine grapes and, um, and barrels. So those things we knew we could do. So we just traveled up here using vacation time and, um, and some unpaid vacations to come up and work, you know, during the harvest. And we came back to California and worked our jobs because the wine was just sitting in barrel. And so we just kind of did traveling back and forth and really looked, looked at what, I mean, we planned everything like the cost of travel, the cost of, um, you know, being up here, uh, if we were going to take any other vacations, I mean, we, we really thought strategically about, you know, about doing this so that we could um, give the best that we could give of ourselves with our job and still, um, you know, do some great things there and contribute. And then also be able to transition out by giving our employers great notice that we were transitioning out of the organization and really okay. planning to take on this, this new career. So you eased into it. At first, you did not have your own vineyard you do not have your own supplies you you white labeled or or somebody's wine and and started a brand and then eventually no we didn't white label so we didn't use someone else's wine so it was our wine and we were making the wine so we put in our contract with the grower we just used their crusher distemmer we used their press we you know use the electricity in their facility so we and we paid for that stuff too so when you consult with a business like that like you're paying for you know okay. you're paying them for the use of that but it was you know our you know our our brand our, our almost our wine, our wine is that yeah. almost like uh, if i wanted to make candy bars i hired like a co-packer to to produce it for me like in the food is that similar to that um sort of i would say like yeah, i'm not as familiar with that but if it, if it's something where it's like you come up with the recipe and you have okay. to manufacture it for you okay yeah absolutely yeah that's what kind of like okay. when you have, you know, the same thing that um, Spanx did. Okay. <laughs> you know, All right. Spanx came up or, you know, like make, you know, um, makeup brands where they come up with their, um, their formula and they have someone manufacture it for them. So they mm-hmm. have the formula, they have the rights to it as their products, okay. um, but someone else is, they're hiring someone else to do the work where they're not physically having to be in the manufacturing facility all the time doing the work. And they're using this manufacturer's equipment, maybe even their talents 
um, in their workers, but the product is theirs. Okay. Very good. How long were you into this part-time before you guys were like, okay, let's quit our jobs. We're, we're going for it. How long was it? Well, it was different for both of us. So for me, I transitioned out, um, when the right, um, nine months before the facility, before we went live. And so Greg, um, transferred out about six months after we went live. So we, we, we looked at, does both of us need to be uh, in the business right away? And at okay. what points can we, so I gave my company a lot of, a lot of notice mm-hmm. that I was Very transitioning good. out because I wanted to leave them in, uh, you know, a great space too. And yeah. I wanted to be able to help hire my next, you know, my replacement and, yes. but it would have been up to that company. I mean, they could have just said, okay, your last day is today then, <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, but, but they did it. Uh... Okay. Very good. All right. Sounds like you guys are detailed planners and this was all, uh, not, not a lot of winging it on your part. Very planned out. You watched your cash flow very carefully. It sounds like, yeah. did you have, did you have to borrow any cash and at first, and have you taken on any outside cash at this point? We didn't at first, um, where we went into, um, loans is when we built, um, our own production facility. Okay. And so we pretty much cash flowed you know, the, the first okay. couple years. All right. All right. Bootstrapped it. Okay. Very good. Have you taken on any VC PE money, angel money? No, no. Okay. All right. Just, just loans for facilities and equipment things. Very good. So, so if you haven't taken on any outside cash, then you guys still own hundred percent. You and her, your husband own hundred percent. Right. Very good. Are you 51 and he's 49? No, we're 50, 50. <laughs> what happens? Do you flip coins if you guys get in an argument about something or you can't decide? How do you make these big decisions? No, we're very clear about our roles, though. I mean, that that uh, happened at the very beginning when we were doing just like business planning. It really was okay. who who takes on what. And at the end of the day, it's we both respect the roles. So when it comes to production for Frechette, mm-hmm. Greg's the boss there. So okay. if I feel like we need to go with a different barrel program for our Frechette wines and he thinks otherwise, then I just go, all right, okay. I'm going to stay okay. in my lane. And when it all comes right. to um, business development, you know, he may think one thing, but if I decide that I want to go a different direction, then he stays in his lane. And that was a decision we made very early on. Very good. I love that. Okay. So, so what advice do you have for listeners that work with their spouses or their partners? What, what's your, you want to give them a couple of key pieces of it besides staying in your lane, anything else you want to share to, to make sure it works? Well, I think that for um, deciding those roles early on, I think it's very important. And as your business evolve and you have more things that, uh, you know, more business venues or channels or opportunities, having that dialogue of who's going to do what and that you'll respect the decision that they make, I think it's really important. The other thing I think is um, having a rhythm of meetings that you're both on the same page about what each other Mm. is doing. Mm. Um, Because for... Greg's side of the business, um, you know, he's using a lot more spin because in production, we're buying big pieces of equipment. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, for him to be able to let me know like what he's doing so that I'm not having some spin on my part of the business, like you just kind of, you really need to be on the same page about that. So upfront understanding like, okay, we're going to meet quarterly to talk about financials and we're going to meet, you know, once a year to talk about spin and where the money is going and who's cutting the check and deciding. I think those sort of things are just really, really, really important. It's best to do that upfront and make those decisions and kind of have check-ins instead of losing sight, you know, of that where one partner knows more about financials than the other partner. That's that you just don't ever want to get into that situation. Mm, totally agree. Who's in charge of finance and accounting then? But you both oversee it and you have like a CFO that rolls up to both of you or who handles no. it? No. So we we both are very well versed on okay. money coming in, money going out because we do meet regularly and talk about those things okay. and we plan for it as well. When it comes okay. to like who's meeting with the accountant. So Greg yeah. is more regularly meeting and like even this morning, we just met with our accounting firm. And so we both when we're um, doing our quarterly meetings, we both are part of that. Um, those, those sort of meetings because decisions have to be made and they really need to mm-hmm. understand the vision of the business for them to advise us. Have you ever gotten into a disagreement over an employee that you, one of you thought needed to go and the other one was like, no, they need to stay. We haven't, uh, we haven't had any disagreements about that. What we may discuss is like, if he sees something that I don't see, or if I see something that he doesn't see, and it always comes back to, because I, you know, I, uh, oversee our team. 
Okay, so you so 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 HR is Shay. It's my thing. Yes. Okay, gotcha. But I do rely on feedback, not only from from Greg, but also on the leads on my team because to get feedback because I do performance reviews with my team. Yeah, good. And so I really need to have that data. And if someone's failing in an area, I would much rather say, "Hey, this is where I see uh, you falling short. Let's get you back on track." You know, that's just that, that can be just as easy as a conversation or feedback or mm-hmm. some additional training. So those sort of things, in my experience, are easier to fix than people think. Okay, very good. Now, tell us, tell us about Frechette wines. Like, what? You know, there's a million wines. I go, I go into the wine store, and I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm looking around, and you know, <laughs> my wife and I, we like. We like Pinots. Uh, I, I like uh, currently we're drinking this. Uh, we're hooked on this Miomi, I think is, is what it is. I'm not I am. By the way, I'm, 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 a, I'm a wine novice person, so I probably won't use any of the right language. Um, but most, but why, of, most, most people are. So I think most that's people a, are right. Yeah, most yeah. people are. Yeah, yeah, yeah most yeah. people are. You're right. There are a lot of there's so many different wines out there and it's yes. pretty overwhelming when you go to a grocery it store is. by, by the is. way like there's only a, a handful of brands that own all of those labels in the grocery store so i think one differentiator from a winery like Frechette and actually most of the wineries in washington state is that we are smaller uh producers in our state and so okay. most of our wines don't even leave the state and so uh, what i uh, think is fun about Frechette and some of the other smaller brands is that um uh, you know, a lot of us run off of wine clubs, which basically means that uh, consumers come in directly to us and trusting that we're going to select two oh. wines that they get to purchase from us each quarter. I see. And if they're not here, we're shipping those wines directly to them. For us, we're doing, we play in the premium red wine market, um, handcrafted, small lot wines sourced from the uh, wine region that we actually live in called Red Mountain. And so um, we're making things like uh, Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Malbec, a little bit of Carmenere, a Syrah. And so we're kind of sticking to some of those beautiful, bolder red wines that are amazing on their own. Um, or if, you, if you're a foodie, because there are a lot of foodies out there. Um, yeah. We make wines that that are just phenomenal uh, with food. Okay. You said, how much of your business is the wine club? Do you mind sharing percentage of wine? Of, of course. Yeah. We are almost... 70% wine club. Wow. Okay. Wine club Holy. purchases. So that means wow. like the wine. Wow. Yeah. So it Ooh. means like the wines that we allot to our wine club, plus mm-hmm. like the additional mm-hmm. wines that our wine club members are purchasing. Mm-hmm. So about 70% of our business is dedicated to wine club. Are the wine, are the clubs themselves? And I apologize. I'm ignorant to this, but uh, are the clubs themselves? Is that like a, is that almost like a hub, like an Amazon that you pay a little cut to, to get into the club to ship? Absolutely it? not. So oh, most okay. wine okay. clubs, you pay zero to be a part of it. Basically what a wine club is, is you say, um, Hey, you know what? You give me two bottles of wine a quarter. Um, mm-hmm. and you, you give the winery your credit card. They automatically charge you quarterly and they ship you the two wines that that winemaker hand selects for their wine club. Um, you get discounts on those wines and then you get a discount for any additional wines that you're purchasing uh-huh. for a lot of wineries. Um, you know, some folks enjoy wine clubs where the winery is shipping to them because they always put something a little fun in the shipping boxes. Yeah. But a lot of folks love wine clubs that are close to them because you go into the winery and they give you a little extra splash of something. They have uh-huh. events that are wine club mm-hmm. only events. Mm-hmm. Um, they have different um, tastings like library tastings that are available only to wine clubs. So you get a lot of perks of being a part of um, a part of a I wine see. club. Uh, and then the but other there's 30- no cost for most of them. There's no okay. cost for ours. There's no cost to join. And for okay. most wine clubs that I know of, there's zero cost to join. Is the other 30% of your business people purchasing directly off of your website? People purchase most of it's people coming in like a tourist folks traveling through the area oh. Oh, um, who are, you know, in wine country. I see. Um, a very small, small percent is wholesale, uh, about 1.8% right now is wholesale where we're selling to like mom and pop restaurants in the Tri-Cities mm-hmm. area, um, one or two over in Seattle area. Okay. Wholesale, wholesale is lower margin anyway. You, you sell direct <laughs> to the consumer, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Why are you only, and I, same thing, I don't, I don't know. I should, I should probably know this, but why are you only shipping to certain states? Is there like laws around that or how, how does that work? 
Yeah, you know, every state has their, you know, alcohol is so regulated. Uh, every state makes their own laws and rules when it comes to alcohol. Mm -hmm. And so um, in most states, you have to pull a permit. So a minor will have to pay that state or purchase a permit or purchase rights to ship to consumers in those states. Mm. And so for a winery like us, you know, we look at states that we, I mean, if a state charges me a thousand dollars to pull a permit and I'm not even selling a thousand dollars of wine mm -hmm. in that state, and I have to report to them on a monthly or quarterly basis, it just doesn't make sense for a business like mine to do that. And so we kind of hand select some states that we're going to pull permits in either you know, I'm from the Carolinas. And so North Carolina is a state that I ship to uh, Washington, D.C. We have quite a few folks who've been requesting our wine there. So we ship there. California is mm. a reciprocal state. They're super easy to work with. Very inexpensive to pull a permit. Um, so we'll we'll hand select states. We ship to about 15. And then some of our larger wineries here, they have a department like a compliance department that manages all of that. Uh -huh. And so um, so they'll pull permits in you know, almost every state um, that they can. Very good. How big is the organization now? I don't know if you want to share revenue or if you want to share employee count, but can you give the listeners some idea of how big you guys are now? Yeah, I think the first thing that people, when it comes to like the size of a winery, um, people may get production size. And so okay. we are at about 2,500 cases. And just uh, to put a year, a year. What, what does that mean? I don't know what that 2,500 cases a year. Okay. So our largest winery in our state um, produces over a million cases of just their Riesling that just the Riesling <laughs> and we are 2,500 cases. So that kind of gives you a little bit of perspective on like a massive, you know, like a large scale in Washington state and How then some restaurants, but we have over a thousand wineries here, Steve, and most of our wineries produce 5,000 cases or less. And so when you're looking at like a state of wineries that um, are more on the production exclusive side, then Washington state is a phenomenal state to look into wine. Now, I know you said that you enjoy Pinot. I'm thinking Pinot Noir, um, yeah, uh, lighter, yeah, thin yeah, skin yes. red wine. Yeah, so yes. we, we, that's not a variety that we, you know, that we really produce here. We're into your thicker skin grapes because it's very warm here. Um, okay. A little, little pockets of Pinot Noir here and there. Some of it's used for like rosés and some of it you do get the red Pinot Noir, but mostly we're planted to Cab and Merlot and, you know, Syrah and things like that. Well, I have to, the reason I'm drinking the lighter stuff is because my wife who is sitting right over here and can hear me talking, by the way, she likes the sweeter, she likes the sweeter, you know, and, and so that's, that's one of them we found where we both can drink it at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's some amazing, like, um, not, so I love, um, like off dry wines. I don't, and, know, what that, um, I don't know what that means. I'm so sorry. all it oh. means is like, it has a little bit of sweetness. It's not like really, really sweet, but it has off a little dry. bit of sweetness that pairs amazing with like some of the fruit characteristic of the wines. Okay. So my neighbor, Kiona, they have an amazing Chenin Blanc. Chenin Blanc is one of my favorite white wine varieties. Okay. And it's an off dry, um, what I would consider off dry. Um, they have a Gortz demeanor that's a little bit sweeter than the Chenin Blanc that your wife might really enjoy. Oh, okay. um, they have a very um, fruit driven Riesling and they make Riesling where it's like dry. They make it where it's really sweet. And so getting, you know, a couple of different options of Riesling from them. I'm sure your wife will find something that she really enjoys. It'd be really cool for you guys to, you know, kind of dip into some of the Washington wines oh, and totally, find totally. some favorites. Yeah. I'm going to send you my address as soon as we get finished talking here. Uh, cool. <laughs> um, so you, uh, you have a facility, you have a vineyard, you have a building, you have 50 employees. You got a bunch of people out there picking grapes. Like I'm trying to, visualize, I'm trying, I'm trying to, you're making trying stuff to up, Steve. You're making I'm stuff sorry. up. I'm trying to visualize it. I'm trying to visualize it. Yeah. So visualize this, visualize getting lost in a sea of, of vines this okay. time of year, visualize like the canopy. So the actual vines are really tall. They're uh, doing what's called bloom right now. So okay. they uh, look like you have a stem with these little flowers on the end of it that will mm -hmm. be berries in the next um, few days. Okay. Uh, so that's what it looks like out here. Just vineyards okay. everywhere. Our okay. winery is um, we have our winery and right behind it is our production facility. Okay. Uh, we are very, very, we're more informal. So our winery actually is a pole barn. In fact, the place wasn't for sale and we knocked on the door and begged the folks to sell to us. And after four no's, they finally said yes. 
So where our tasting room is, was actually their storage facility. So we remodeled that, made our tasting room, and then we built our production facility right behind it. And Uh it has vines on both sides of the tasting room and the production facility. I see. Okay. Very good. Uh, Sounds pretty, sounds like a pretty cool place. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh yeah. uh, yeah, That's yeah, why we so. were knocking on doors to try and get this place. It's very, it's a, it's magical. It's special. It's gorgeous. It's, um, you know, the, you, we have, us uh, about a dozen wineries in this wine region, um, very small to medium. And then we have a couple large wineries out here. So you can get a little bit of everything out here. Um, we're pretty close, but it's still, you're walking through vineyard. If you're going from one winery to the next. So folks like to just kind of drive to each winery. It's a, it's a really cool, really cool area. Are you friends with all the other winery owners? Like you guys all buddies, you hang out, you talk. Well, we have to be. I mean, when we yeah, when you have vineyards, right? like your vineyards are so close. Like, it, I mean, I, you know, winemaking and wine grape growing is farming. At the end of the day, that's what it is. And it's yeah. treated as a business, um, but it's, you still have the farmer's mentality. So gotcha. if you have two vineyards side by side and you, one person has a, a pest problem or disease, that right. disease and pests, they don't know like, oh, that's the barrier to your neighbor's vineyard. You know? <laughs> and so you, you have to work together. <laughs> you really do. And so that's yeah. what you feel not only out here on Red Mountain, but in Washington state, the wineries yeah. are phenomenal with collaboration, which I wish more businesses and more business leaders would do. You got that right. Uh, what's the plan, Shay? Are you guys going to buy up some other smaller wineries? You're going to grow this thing and have a massive exit and retire? Are you going to keep it for a family business? What is the plan? So we acquired another 15 acres in the last, in 2020 and 2021. So we'll plant that next year. So we are still in growth mode, which, which really makes sense for us because we are um, sourcing some of our wine grapes. So we have other growers that we buy wine grapes from uh, to make wine out of. And so we'll have more of an estate vineyard. And so that's, that's where we are right now. Uh, we'll expand our production just a little bit, um, just to be more efficient uh, with how we're making our wines. Okay. Um, so those are a couple things that are that are in the works right now. Buying other brands, absolutely not. Um, we have a sub label under our Prochette brand uh, called Sachet. So we'll expand that a little bit, but we're not. Um, it's not a part of our business plan to acquire any other labels or wineries or anything like that. Do you talk about whether or not you want to build this as a lifestyle business for your children and 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 second and third generations or exiting? Do you have those conversations or not yet? We do, but I do believe that for you know our son, if he wants to go into wine, then I'm I would welcome that in a heartbeat. And if he decides he wants to be an engineer and have nothing to do with wine, then I'm totally fine with that too. Okay. Um, you know, we built for Shet when we started this. We talked a little bit about making it a legacy, but really it was something we wanted to do. We wanted oh, something yeah, that would give us yeah. goosebumps. And so I just think it's unfair to make, to say like, this is my thing that gives me goosebumps yeah. and yeah. say to my son, this has to give you goosebumps yeah, too. I yeah. just think that's so unfair. So. Yeah. By the way, I've spent the last five years trying to talk all four of our children into working at the recruiting firm and they all want to do their own thing. <laughs> hey, you know, what did your folks, what did your folks do? Yeah. Same. Yeah. Right. Same thing. Right. right. Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, like what yeah. if our folks yeah. had us go into yes. the profession they had, you know? Um, so my I dad, just really, yeah, no, 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 no. My dad was an old, my dad was an oil field worker. I wasn't tough enough to do that. I was too wimpy. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, okay. A couple more questions here. I know we're getting towards the back end. Um, how did, how, it is very difficult to start a brand, right? It is so hard to get a brand to be recognized to where some stranger on the street, you know, says Frechette Winery. Like the first time you hear somebody else say your company name, you're like, <gasps> they actually know who we are. <laughs> um, how? Did you, did you just, did you hump it with, with walking around and talking to people at restaurants and wholesaling and trade shows? Did you blast it on social media? How did you start the snowball effect of getting any recognition for the, for the brand in the first place? Well, we did do the, um, you know, so when you were asking about the makeup of our business, I told you that a very small percentage of our business is wholesale. Uh So 
I was in the, I, I knew that we wanted a direct to consumer business. Our product is yes. sold directly to the yes. consumer, yes. Um, yes. mostly through walk-in traffic or um, e-commerce. Okay. And um, so that was my business plan. But then I kind of, you know, folks were saying like, oh my God, it'd be so cool to see your brand in restaurants. And I kind of like visualized that like, oh my gosh, right. You know, our label on a shelf or, you know, in a restaurant. And um, because I had other folks saying like, this is the way you should go. I kind of started to think about like, wow, so I know my plan was this, but, you know, maybe I should be open to Mm. these other things. Mm -hmm. And so I went to places that really didn't make sense for our brand, just trying to get it into some places. So I will go to restaurants that did not have wines at our price point that um, boasted that they had, you know, like uh, white wines for their patio. And we're, we're all, well, we're mostly red wines with yeah. one white wine. And yeah. so it really didn't align with what we were doing. And so that was one of the things that I learned is like, don't spend time on the things that do not make sense for the mm. business. Even if someone else is telling mm. you that mm. you should mm. do that, like you mm. really have to go back to what is important to our business? How do we uh, sell our products? And so that was a learning for me. And then I, I did lean on partnerships and relationships that make sense. I'm a huge networker and I love collaborations, but I know those things are longer term things. And of course, I wanted to sell my products you know, right away. Great. We open up, everybody comes in and I sell out. That's what I, that's what I wanted, but that's just not the way that that I personally work. And so I really leaned in on creating and developing relationships throughout my community, um, okay. being a resource to someone before I ever asked them to be a resource oh, to me. So even with businesses tip. I'm working, I'm working with, um, it's thing like I was in leadership development when I saw that someone could use a resource. If it was, if it was very easy for me, if someone mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. in the chamber and they were like, Oh my God, I'm struggling with, you know, how to do performance development. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I have a form that I can forward over to you. And if it helps you out, then, then great. I hope it works. It would take me, I don't know, two minutes to, you know, go through and, you know, find a form that I develop that, that I can share with them. And so that was my way of saying, look, I'm a resource to you. Mm. And now when I see that you have a business leadership, something coming up, I, I would love to contact you and say, Hey, you know what? I see you have this. Are you guys having wine there? Did you have a budget for that? I love Love to share with you, you know, some (laughs) wine that I think would be great for this uh, event. So that's, that's what we did a lot Mm. of in the beginning is really networking and getting into the community, um, going and buying wine from my neighboring wineries, letting them know that I exist so they can refer folks to me. Mm. Um, So Mm. it wasn't just walking Mm. in with a business Mm. card saying, Hey, send me your customers. (laughs) I'm going to be your customer and I'm going to buy from you. That was my marketing budget right there. Sounds like a lot of grassroots boots on the ground. (laughs) Yeah. Sharing, helping, you know, going to events, working the community. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of that. Okay. Very good. And how's your social media following? Do you have, you guys have a lot of following on social media? Do you depend on social media? Like, you know, we have, uh, I don't know, 50, around 5,200 on Instagram, probably about 5,000 on Facebook, LinkedIn, about 500 and some uh, followers there. But, you know, those are platforms that we're starting to focus on a little bit, you know, that we're starting to focus on more too. Because those Uh, are those that brought us business. I mean, we'll do a live on, you know, we'll do an Instagram live and we'll get folks that come out locally and they're like, oh my God, we came out today because we saw you on Instagram live, you know? No doubt. Um, no doubt. So no no doubt. Um, yeah. I, I think, um, I mean, your personality, your energy, I mean, Hey, you were an actress, right? I mean, you should, you should, <laughs> you should be, you should be all over the social media because I think you would do very well. I, in fact, I would highly encourage you to do more. I think the, I think the more Shay is on camera, but the better. So I think you should do a lot more. I, I definitely would. Um, yeah. Cause I think it gives you, I, you know, I'm sure your wine is good. I'm sure it tastes good, but there's a lot of wines that taste good. Right. Of course, and so, absolutely. and um, I think, I think consumers want to connect personally and emotionally and I think you have a really cool story and I think you're magnetic in that way. And I think if people, I think if people like the way the wine tastes and they love Shay, I mean, 
there you go. You got more, you got more customers, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I think that is, uh, I think that's key. In fact, uh, do you have a podcast at all? No, you know what? I have no time for that. <laughs> well, okay. I, hey, trust me. I believe me. I understand. Uh, I totally, yes. And for the listeners, starting a podcast takes a shit ton of time. So uh, <laughs> exactly. mo mo most business owners don't have it. The, but the reason I'm bringing it up is because the same thing. I think you have the, the style for it and the, and the communication and people skills for it. But most importantly, I'm talking like I'm a wine expert, but I just, I just firmly believe there's this huge gap. You go out to dinner and there's these people that know wines. They know what to do. They know what to order. They can speak the language. They're over here. This is the two percenters or whatever that is, right? Most everybody else is over here. Like there's, there's not a lot of people in the middle. I don't think, I think there's yeah. the experts and then there's me, the commoners. Yeah. And we're just over here. We're like, Oh, yeah. that, that, that label looks pretty. I guess I'll try this one. Yeah. And somebody well, you know, like because wine doesn't have to be for for so long. Um, you know, wine has been this elite sort of thing and it, it's just fermented grape juice. I mean, it really is. And not to take away, you know, I'm not saying there's a lot of work involved when you think about the vines and how old some of the vines are. I think yeah. about like how many hands have touched those vines. And in some of these vineyards, you think about the how many generations Oh, have man, touched yeah. these vines. Oh, yeah, and I mean, yeah, for yeah, us yeah. to bring yeah. that, that yeah, into yeah, our production yeah. facility and work with it, you know, mm. those are, um, there's a lot of work involved. So I'm, I'm not downplaying that. But at the end of the day, I think that sometimes, you know, wine is look, it seems like, oh my gosh, you have to be, you know, you have mm. to be an expert to really get it. And we're, we're down here. That's totally not the case. Wine yeah. can be, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I bring wine out when I'm, celebrating when I'm yeah. having to reflect on something yeah. um, when someone else is celebrating I want to bring over a really cool bottle of wine and it really a lot of times it's about the story when I go to a small winery and I hear about how they've made that wine and what they put into that wine I'm mm. eager to share that with someone else I'm eager yeah, to gotcha. share the story yeah, so gotcha. um so I do think it can be intimidating but it really doesn't doesn't have to be I, I think at the end of the day if my advice that I can give to um, any wine novice or someone that's really thinking about going into wine is um, learn how to read a wine label, like learn what the things mean on it. Cause then you mm. can make a decision on if you want to purchase that wine or not. So if the wine says dry, you know, that it means like it has no, it tastes like it has no sugar in it. You know, if a wine is a Pinot Noir, it's a, a thin skin grape. So it's going to be a little lighter. It's still going to be a beautiful flavor for wine. But if you're having a steak dinner, you want something a little heavier than, um, you know, looking at wines that, that, that are a little, will know, it say, heavier. will it say, will it say thin skin? Well, so peanut, so you would just, you, you would look at, you can, it probably wouldn't. Will it say, <laughs> will it say, point. will it say off dry? Yes. So some wines will tell you if it's dry right. or off okay. dry. In fact, flipping the bottle over to the back. I don't know how many people read the back of the label. Not many. The back of the, <laughs> it tells you things like alcohol level. Um, the winery will describe that wine, like what you would taste in that wine. Mm. Um, it'll tell you um, some wineries will say like, oh, this is a beautiful, sweet wine, you know, perfect with this or that. Um, so it's worth flipping the bottle over and just taking the opportunity to read the, the back of that, that bottle. And then not gonna... being afraid to explore. You know, just like you will if you buy any other product, you know, if you were in the sauce section of a grocery store and you're like, oh my God, you know, this um, sweet and sour sauce, I've, you know, I've never seen this brand before, but I'm going to try this. You know, it's just like being that open to wine and, and just trying things. Okay. I'm going to have to get, I'm going to have to get better at that. Two last questions. I know we're almost out of time. So I like wine, but I also like bourbon. I like to have bourbon. Uh, and, um, I always thought, man, if I worked at a bourbon place, I would probably drink too much. Um, how do you, how does that, is, does that ever affected you guys? You're like, okay, we own a winery, so let's just drink wine all day. <laughs> how do you, how do you, how do you make sure you're like, okay, let's, let's be careful here. How do you manage that? Yeah. There's a difference between like tasting wine and drinking wine. So when okay. we're tasting through, let's say we have 50 barrels, we need to taste 50 barrels is a lot. So we're doing a lot of like tasting and then just spitting the wine out. Oh, I And see. so at the end of that, I mean, sometimes you really don't want to have a glass of wine because you've had wine on your palate, you know, <laughs> it's so long that it's worth just hydrating and having a big glass of water. But because we do work in alcohol, 
we are very careful about that. Um, yeah. We go to a lot of wine events where it's expected you have a glass of wine. And so for exactly. me, my general rule is that I usually just drink on the weekends. Usually during the week, okay. I, you know, I really don't drink wine. I'll, I'll taste the wine if I'm tasting through barrels or if I'm making tasting notes. So I, I'll be uh, on the production pad tomorrow and okay. uh, I'll be topping some wine. So of course I'll taste through the wine just to kind of see how it's developing in okay. the barrel, but I'm okay. tasting through and I'm just, you know, I see. Wine. I see. Okay. Last question. If you had to define your core purpose in life. Now let's, let's set Greg and your son aside. Let's, let's put your immediate family kind of over here. That's a special core purpose. So let's set that over. aside. if you don't include them in this answer, what is Shay's core purpose in life right now, if you had to put it into a sentence? My core purpose really is to be, is to contribute to my community and inspire someone, inspire other humans. And I could be doing anything to do that. So I've never felt like like my, I've never felt like my purpose is with a, a certain job. Okay. That's never felt like a purpose to me. I can do anything and still live my purpose. Mm. Um, I really uh, honed in on this when I had a mentor and he said to me, he was like, you know what, Shay, you make people feel better about themselves after they talk to you than they even felt before. Cool. And I never thought about that before. And for someone else to say that to me, like it really, really stuck with me. And um, so I've just been more deliberate about that. Um, I wish I, you know, so I think about it more and I work more towards like making more effort to do that. Mm. Um, but then I just kind of took that on. It's like, yeah, you know, if I, um, if I'm volunteering and it's, you know, I get the, the crappy job and volunteering, you know, if I'm clean, if I'm, you know, if I'm volunteering to keep the bathrooms clean at, you know, um, a fair Wherever. or something, you know, yeah. where people are coming yeah. in and seeing me and I'm clean. I'm like, Oh, hold on. Let me clean the toilet for you. Yeah. To, you know, it's like, I'm going to yeah. do that with pride. I'm going to do it with joy. And, um, and I'm going to make them feel you know good about seeing me do that. So um, I would say, I know that's longer than one sentence. That's all right. Just provide a little more meat around that. But I would say that that really aligns with what I feel my purpose is. Shay, I really appreciate you being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing your story. Congratulations on everything you guys have built so far. Thank you very much. Thank you.